This is The Blunt Doctor Show once again in a new format, in a new studio, which is just my garage, but I reserve the right to call the studio, so whatever. Live on Instagram with it right now as well. So a few different ways. Gonna make sure this one's in all the podcast directories. So you won't just have to go to my website. I'm doing everything everyone else's way for once. And I'm trying to cater to other people. That's not really true. <laughs> I'm just trying to do things the right way for once. I'm trying to come out with some decent stuff on this new setup. In this new setup, I should say. I took part of the garage. I just took it over. I put in, you know, plasma screen. and Yes, plasma screen. I know it's old, but I had it. Uh, I put in, you know, sound equipment, PC, obviously the microphones. Um, so I've got everything ready to go. In any case, there's just a few things I want to talk about. I had like a whole kind of podcast set up. Uh, and then, of course, news breaks. So we got to go right to the, the news that happened just a few minutes ago, minutes ago, which is Giannis signs the Supermax extension with the Bucks. And... I mean, he's locked in essentially now. It's five years. There is an option here. But we were basically prepared for a scenario in which we were going to have to spend an entire year talking about Giannis. Or who knows how long talking about Giannis. If it, you know, he signed a one plus one or whatever the case may have been. And now we don't have to do any of that. Giannis is with the Bucks. It seemed like when the Bucks made the moves for Drew Holiday and Bogdan Bogdanovich that he was like locked in. Then it sort of seemed like there was some pushback after the Bogdanovich thing fell apart. So I do think there was at least some like, I mean, who knows? Who knows where everyone was at? But for Giannis, guarantee the money. In the pandemic world, guaranteeing all the money in the world makes as much sense as anything else possibly could. So, you know, I, I don't begrudge him of that at all. In fact, I'm glad he did it. It's good for the NBA. Is it good for the NBA when the Lakers and Knicks or other and other, you know, big market East Coast teams are good? Absolutely. That is definitely good for the NBA. And I don't think that anyone ever would ever argue against that. The Warriors, for example, have created, you know, a monster because not only are they, you know, such a phenomenal team, but they're also in, you know, a massive US market which has major connections to other international markets. And so it has blown them up into a huge you know, international phenomenon. If the Knicks were ever good again, it would be incredible. If the Nets are great, it would be incredible. You know, it's good for the league when, you know, the coastal big city teams are doing well. I understand that. But it is also good for the league when guys stop using the Midwest teams as farm clubs to train themselves before they go to those coastal teams. It is good for the league when there is as much parity as possible. We all want as much good basketball as possible. And it's simply good. It's never going to be a bad thing when a small market star signs, obviously. And everyone has talked about this. Um, so I'm not inventing this idea. Tim McMahon brought it up um, on Hoop Collective. But a lot of people have mentioned that, you know, this is now like the most tradable contract in the NBA. So if things didn't go well with the Bucks and Giannis wanted to leave, you literally have, again, like who in the world wouldn't trade for that contract? If 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 the Bucks if Giannis came to the Bucks and said I don't want to be here anymore please trade me, and the Bucks you know agreed to do so not that they necessarily would but let's say that they did 
literally all 29 other teams would sign up to try to trade for that contract. So there's no way that it's not, you know, a home run for the Bucks in every sense of the word. Um, and obviously, if he came to them and asked for a trade, they wouldn't have to. But the point is, some people have said that they believe that Giannis signs with the Bucks under the belief that if things don't go well in two to three years, you know, they'll accommodate him on a trade. So if you have to do that, it's against NBA rules, but it's a thing people have discussed. And if you have to do it, having, you know, the best contract in the NBA, essentially, um, even though it's a huge supermax, you've got a guy who's a two-time MVP on a five-year contract. So any team that's acquiring him, you know, wouldn't have to leave. Right now, he's theoretically on a six-year contract. So they, you know, at that point in time would be acquiring him with three or four years left. But nonetheless, this is great stuff. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm happy for the Bucks. I'm definitely interested to see. The Drew Holiday thing is interesting because Drew Holiday is one of those guys who gets like overvalued, but then because he gets overvalued, he gets super undervalued like the other way. And so I think that some people are kind of not realizing how good he's going to be. Like I've heard a few takes that are like, does Drew Holiday make the Bucks that much better than Eric Bledsoe? Like, fuck yeah, he does. Like, I'm sorry, but Eric Bledsoe has no history of performing in the playoffs at all. He, you know, never got to the playoffs with Phoenix, was never able to bring that team to the next level. And when he was in Milwaukee, truthfully, a lot of the reason they have blown some of these playoff series that they've blown has been been because of the poor performance of Eric Bledsoe. So to me, there's no way you there's no way that you cannot say this is a huge upgrade. It is. It's a huge upgrade um offensively because Drew Holiday is just a better offensive player than Eric Bledsoe. He can shoot the ball. Eric Bledsoe cannot shoot the ball, and he especially cannot shoot the ball in clutch moments. And that's really the most important thing. Like, you're literally playing your whole season in order to get to the playoffs. And if you have a guy who then is useless to you, what was what did what did the previous in this season 72 games matter? They literally don't. And so, you know, the biggest thing has just got to be that in those big moments when you need a triple, you now have a guy who can bag it. And in terms of defense, I mean, they're both very good defenders. Eric Bledsoe is a very good defensive player, sure. But I think Drew Holiday is a better defensive player. And it's not that Eric Bledsoe is bad, but, like, go ask guys around the league that question. I think if you asked 100 guys, probably 90 of them would say that Drew Holiday is a better defender. And 100 of them would say that Drew Holiday is a better offensive player. So, I, you know. He doesn't have Eric Bledsoe's force, maybe, but Eric Bledsoe doesn't, you know, dunk with ferocity like he once did. So it's not the same. So overall, I think the Bucks summer went well. Um, they're going to need now some internal growth. You know, without getting Bogdanovich, he would have been such a, you know, great shooter for them. Now they're going to need guys like, you know, DiVincenzo and Connaughton to just be better, which is, you know, asking a lot, but it's not impossible. Um, so it's going to be an interesting, interesting season for the Bucks. I, I'm going to stop short of picking them for the finals again because I've been doing that. And at this point, I'm, you know, I, even I have to accept that you've got to prove it at a certain point. Uh, you know, it can't be something where, I mean, you know, the numbers say this and the advanced analytics say this and that. And, you know, the simple fact of the matter is you've got to do it at some point. You've got to take it to another level. You've got to get beyond, um, you know, the, well, I mean, really, at this point, they've got to get into the finals. You know, Miami made it into the finals. And, you know, they don't have a single player as, as good as Giannis. They've got a better coach. 
Um, and maybe have a better team, you know, one to nine or whatever. But the point is that the Bucks have no more excuses, especially now. So they're going to need to see some internal growth from some of their guys. Middleton, at times in last year's playoffs, was the only good player they had. Um, so, and that, when Giannis was hurt, of course. So, I mean, you'd like to think that Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, or excuse me, Holiday, ha, there's that whole thing, um, Holiday, and then some internal growth does well for this team. But had they been able to land Bogdanovich, that would have been huge. But simple fact of the matter is they didn't, and you got to move on. But I do think that this team is formidable. Um, and I do think that Drew Holiday is a guy you can go to in the clutch to get a bucket. He has proven in the playoffs when he's been there that he is capable of playing at the highest levels. Uh, well, you know, let's never forget that, you know, the, the Pelican sweep of the Blazers. So, you know, I, I, I really like this team. It remains to be seen if they did enough. Um, you know, sort of just expecting DiVincenzo to be Bogdan Bogdanovich is foolish. So I think that, you know, they're going to need positive growth from multiple players, even if you can't necessarily replace that trade or potential trade, um, you know, internally that easily. The thing is, we don't necessarily know. It seemed to us as a public that that trade was like done. So you look at that situation and go, oh, they botched it. They blew it. But it's not necessarily true. If that was more of a speculative thing that they were trying to do and it was leaked from the King's side or something to that example, um, to that extent, yeah, I think that's this is a little different. So, in any case, I think it's good that Giannis signed the Supermax. Now, I do have a few... Com- I've been watching preseason, obviously. We all have. I'm super hyped to see Jalen Smith for the Suns and to see Chris Paul in a Suns uniform, obviously. But I watched a few other games, and I just, I've had some thoughts I wanted to talk about. Um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about my... I've mentioned to a lot of people, but I just wanted to get it on the record. My perfect James Harden trade. And then I'm going to go over the season over under win totals for the NBA, what I think is going to happen. So this is kind of what I was planning to do before I spent 10 minutes randomly talking about the Bucks. In any case, thoughts on the Hawks, given that, um, you know, we talked about Bogdan Bogdanovich a lot. By the way, the Lakers made a hard push for Bogdan Bogdanovich, and that one did not work out. But uh, that would have been pretty damn scary, putting that guy shooting around LeBron and AD. Luckily, for the rest of us, that didn't happen. So there's some chance for other teams this season. The Trey Young and Bogdan thing, like you look at them and those two have chemistry. And I think that, you know, for lack of a better description, I think that Travis Schlenk looks at that and sees that as his, like, you know, Walmart, Steph, and Clay, right? Or his target, Steph, and Clay. Like, you know, you got a really good shooter and passer in one. You got a really great shooter in the other. Bogdanovich is a solid defender. He's not Clay Thompson. Um, Trey is literally the worst defender in the NBA. But, you know, I can see it. But I don't know. I kind of go back and forth on this team. Like, everyone was sort of high on the Hawks last year, and I was really not. And, you know, they didn't really have a good season. And now everyone is sort of buying into them again. You add, um, you know, multiple pieces, Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari. But I just... They have a lot of guys that they're trying to play. And I kind of foresee that there could be a little bit of this with the Suns, too, at times. When you have so many guys you're trying to fit into the rotation, it can be difficult. Even if they're all good, 
chemistry is a real thing in the NBA. Because in a lot of cases, chemistry leads to try hard on defense. And if you have no chemistry, you have no try hard, especially on defense. And so I kind of wonder, like, I know that they've publicly said that Gallinari is coming off the bench behind Collins or whatever. That, to me, I just don't, I don't know, man. I, that's weird to me. I don't understand the whole Gallinari, Collins, Capella. Like, what are you even trying to be? It's, it's like when the Magic tried to have Vujovic and Biombo and uh, Ibaka all at once. And they're like, well, we're always going to have two elite big men on the floor at any time. Well, that's not really what this league is about. Then I know that Gallinari is not necessarily a big, but he's certainly not a wing. So, you know, having Capella there and having Collins means, you know, there's like no minutes where you're going to play Gallinari as like, you know, sort of a small ball five. Or you may try to do that with him and Collins. And then I don't know where you're at defensively, really, in that scenario. Um, it's all, I don't know. And then not only that, but it's like on the wing, you've got Herder and you've got Bogdanovich and you've got, uh, you know, Hunter and you've got Cam Resch. It's just, there's so much. There are just a lot of guys that they're trying to play. Oh, and we added Rajon Rondo. It just, and Krista, it's just, there's a lot. They've added a lot. And they, I just think that they have too many guys. And I'm very concerned that they simply have too many guys that are trying to play in the regular. Like, you can't play 10 guys in the regular rotation night tonight and have everyone be happy. Like, it won't go very well. I mean, you can play 10, 11 guys, but the key minutes still have to go to a certain set of players. I mean, most teams, it's like, what, seven, eight guys who are like the key guys who have their minutes set. And then you rotate in another pieces out here and there based on matchups, this, that, or the other. But the Hawks are trying to have like 10 key guys. I don't know. Maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe this is a great problem to have. And given, you know, injuries and COVID and all these things, the Hawks are just well-prepared for all of that. And Lloyd Pierce is such a good coach that he'll figure it out. Maybe it's fine. But I don't know about the Hawks. Everyone has sort of been like, oh, yeah, they'll be the eighth seed. I don't know. You know, we'll see. It's When Trey Young is hitting 35-footers every possession, there's really nothing that anyone can do. But he is so bad on defense, it's really tough to say. One team I'm sort of interested in right now, and I know that no one is really interested in them because they did nothing um, and lost Jonathan Isaac, though, is the Magic. Watching the Magic Hawks first game, um, a few days ago, one thing, Zach Lowe has been begging Aaron Gordon for years to adopt this role where he plays like Draymond Green, just sort of like a super forward, um, you know, focused on defense, passing the ball, and not necessarily trying to always be the center of the offense. And truly, it almost looks like he's doing that now. And watching the magic they were cutting, they're setting ball screens there. The amount of chemistry that they have and the time together that they have is allowing them to finally develop a kind of interesting offense. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if this works because if Markel Fultz makes a leap and Eric, Go Aaron Gordon refines his skill set and Vujovic still hits triples and they have the chemistry to run this kind of motion cutting offense, they might actually be good. Like I'm, everyone's down on the magic and high on the Hawks and I'm kind of the opposite. 
because I really, I really like, number one, I like Steve Clifford. He's a great defensive coach and you're never going to have a bad defensive Steve Clifford as your coach. There's never going to be a scenario where like, oh, we can't play. This team is not, they're nothing. It's just, he has made good defensive teams out of guys who simply can't do it. He built good defensive teams. Well, good is he built a decent defensive team with Kemba Walker and Al Jefferson as core pieces in the defense. I don't know how you even do that. He did it. So I like Steve Clifford as a coach. I think he's one of the more underrated coaches. But when I see this offense cutting and passing, and then you imagine a scenario, probably not this season, but next, where Jonathan Isaac comes back, and if he ever can stay healthy, I mean, you could really see this team doing something. And I almost, everyone wondered why they didn't really do much of anything. I wondered too, but I almost kind of understand now because the Magic have been looked at as like a joke franchise for the last couple of years, but they've made the playoffs. And I know it's in the East, but they're still in the playoffs. And I think that what the Magic see maybe that the rest of us don't is that they have had decent seasons where they are winning games and making the postseason. And their consideration is with growth, with chemistry, they can go to the next level with these guys. Now, they are also maybe hoping on Mobamba to go to the next level, but you know, they still obviously have too many bigs and not enough guard play. Now, Markel Fultz has helped that a little bit by, you know, finally coming into his own and being an NBA player, but, you know, they need more than that. So I do think there's reason for people to be like, hey, why didn't you improve this? But I think long term, like truthfully, if you got, if you found a way, be it through the draft, free agency, trade, whatever, to keep the majority of this team but add one more really good piece in the backcourt. And, you know, maybe that's through some use of, you know, money, 48's money, whatever the case is. I can see it with this team. I understand what they're doing. Even if not everyone agrees, I understand why and I understand what they see. And I'm actually really interested to watch this Magic team this season. Um, As far as rookies go, there's a couple of guys who... None of us are really high on this rookie class, obviously. Um, you know, there are some people who feel different ways about it, but a couple of guys who I was really interested to watch and really liked. Um, first one is Obi Toppin, uh, for the Knicks. And, you know, everyone has basically said, yeah, he can score like Amari Stoudemire, but he's too undersized to play defense. And I think in some cases those are true, but you watch this guy play and it's just like, dude, this guy can get buckets. And I mean, in so many ways. He's got a ridiculous spin move. He's obviously got tons of athleticism. He's got decent, you know, touch um, with the shooting. Um, he's got decent touch with his passing. Um, he can literally dribble the ball. Like, he truly has, honestly, as a person who watched Amari Stoudemire, I was a diehard Suns fan. I am a diehard Suns fan, but in those days, I was a diehard Suns fan as well. Back then, I watched all those games, and Obi, and he's older. So, to be fair, so was Amari Stoudemire when he came into the league, by the way. Amari was 20. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't 19. I mean, he was already 20, fresh out of high school, but he was graduated high school at age 20. So, Amari wasn't incredibly young. Um, Obi's 22. But he, the fact that he's older means that he does have that polish on his offensive game. And, I mean, he gets up for rebounds. I, this was a good draft pick. And 
I know everyone's like, oh, the Knicks, the forwards, blah, blah, blah. None of those guys are going to be there long term. None of the people that the Knicks, it's, you know, it's not like Julius Randle is the future. Maybe Mitchell Robinson. But I think this guy can play with Mitchell Robinson. And, I mean, you, you know, you, if you make that NBA three with consistency, I don't care if you shot the, you know, Derek Williams shot the three well in college. You've got to be able to shoot the NBA three with consistency. It's a different thing. And if he can do that, I mean, I think he's going to be really good. Now, you know, he's going to be one of those guys who is going to have, he's 22, so he's going to have like a solid eight-year peak of really good athleticism, and then his game is going to have to change up a bit. So the Knicks need to, this isn't a thing where, whoa, the next 15 seasons, I'm not sure about that. I think you've got, if you if you look at this and say, okay, we've got Mitchell Robinson and Obi Toppin, and let's say that they still believe in R.J. Barrett. I'm not, I don't know how to feel about R.J. Barrett. I've never been super high on him, but I also feel like the Knicks can make everyone look bad. Um, you know, the, you, you can, you can see the beginnings of something. And, you know, we've all talked about, you know, the Knicks being taken over by World Wide West and they want to bring in all the Kentucky guys and blah, 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 blah. And he's an agent and has all these connections. But really, truly, if you just look at this team for what it actually is without the hypotheticals, they actually have some decent young talent. So, you know, if you get a great point guard, and I think this is where some of the Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook stuff was coming from, because a lot of us, myself included, I didn't think it made any sense for the Knicks to try to trade for Westbrook or um, or Paul. And truthfully, they weren't going to give up anything for those guys. They, you know, wanted to be, like, compensated for taking them, which is why those moves, you know, never got anywhere. Um but you can kind of see what they were thinking is, hey, we've got some young talent. Let's put a good point guard with them. And if they're able to do that in the future, that might really be something. But really, truly, the best thing for them is to find their great guard in the draft next year. It's a stack draft. You know, get out there and find someone to lead your offense from there. Um, especially if, if you like Frankie Smokes, if you like RJ Barrett, then you need someone who is going to guide that offense. So... You know, I think that's that's the thing. But Obi Toppin, I mean, man, the spin move alone, it's worth the price of admission. This dude is going to score. He's, you know, he's going to average 17 or 18. If you're looking for like a, a good kind of rookie of the year odds, Obi Toppin is the kind of guy because he's going to be someone who's, you know, he's picked eighth or ninth. You know, he's not at the top, but he's just going to put up points on a bad Knicks team and you're going to get exposure for that he's gonna average 17 or 18 and yeah i mean that's that's a dude who's gonna who who's gonna score the defensive issues are are valid but i think at least for now with his athleticism it's not gonna be a big deal to you know switch it up a little bit you know i don't think there's a lot of fours for example that um you know are gonna run around him so if you play him and as a four i think you're gonna be okay so very interesting. Another guy I really like watching. I know that a lot of people are concerned about the shooting percentage. And I know that a lot of people are concerned about the turnovers. But I like Killian Hayes. And he has growth that is necessary. Like, here's the thing. Last season, he played for Ullman, Germany. And that team literally just like gave him the ball, let him go. Played through turnovers, whatever. Just it was they gave him the keys, and that's fine. 
But that's also what the Pistons are going to have to do here because he needs a lot of growth. But the vision is is there, man. You see this guy make passes that, and some of them are ridiculous. Like he's driving into the lane and then he jumps up and turns around and fires a pass behind him, sort of like Giannis in the playoffs when he's being defended by a center. And But they're on target. And he sees guys in the corner and he looks to pass first. He's a true point guard. I like this guy. He could be more aggressive at times, going to the rim maybe. Um, he still needs to learn a little bit what to do off ball when he's not necessarily in the play. He truly, when he's in the play or when he knows what the action should be, he moves off ball. It's not really a laziness, but there are times that you can kind of see him stand because he's not sure. And, you know, again, I think he went like two for 13 the other night. I understand all of these concerns. I get that. But the vision is so rare. There are just not that many guys who just see everything at that level. You know, this is why the whole Lonzo thing, like, you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of Lonzo, but, you know, his vision and his passing are ridiculous. He doesn't have the necessary aggression as a scorer. And I think that Killian does. And obviously he's got to get better, but he's also so young. And the Pistons have no opportunity to win anything. So this is literally a perfect situation for him. Just let him go. Just let him learn on the job. And, you know, we all make fun of Dennis Smith Jr. And that is maybe sort of what the Mavs should have done, people thought. And, you know, it didn't work out. And now he's one of the worst players in the league and blah, 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 blah. But I I see some people try to make those comparisons or whatever. I just don't see it. I see a dude who I just, he's got the vision. And... Uh, I just, I like guys who have next level vision. And I really think that is where he will grow. Whereas a guy like, like Dennis Smith, who came into the league and it's like, oh, his athleticism is incredible and we just need to give him the keys and it just has never worked anywhere. A guy like that doesn't have the vision. And I just bring them up because they're kind of, you know, point guards in the, uh, towards the back end of the top 10. And I've seen some people talk about, I just, truthfully to me, this is a good pick. And the whole heavy on centers thing with the Pistons, like, I truly believe they did it because they want to give Hayes, like, as many bigs to play with as possible because obviously they're going to trade Blake Griffin at some point. And so they're going to need someone else's set pick and, you know, set picks, roll the basket. Pistons fans are obsessed with the idea that Mason Plumley is, like, a really good pick and roll player, and that's why the Pistons signed him, even though the Pistons really signed him because it was a favor to Mark Bartlestein. You need, if you're a mid-level player and you need to get paid, Mark Mark Bartlestein is the agent. Go ask Jared Dudley about that. But in any case, I see people making comparisons to point guards who haven't worked out because those guys needed so much in the early years and this, that, and the other. And I just, I don't think this is like any of those things. I think this is a guy who has next level vision, who needs the keys because. He's got to learn about the NBA game, but his passing is already something that is above many guys who play point guard in the NBA. And I just think that in and of itself is so special that it's super important. The Rockets are going to be really weird this season. It's hard to know what's going on with them, obviously, with the James Harden situation. But I have a few things to say about this. Number one, John Wall looks like John Wall. Like, I don't know if anyone has watched the Rockets preseason, but he looks like John Wall. 
I know Rockets fans have watched it, and it's exciting. He's exploding to the hoop. He's attacking. He's faster than anyone. We don't know necessarily what level of health he'll have long term, obviously, but the point is, is that if you just take it at face value for how John Wall looks playing basketball, he looks awesome. And still, reportedly, James Harden has no interest in playing with him. However, a few thoughts on this. Number one, even if the James Harden trade occurs, if they're able to acquire a halfway decent package, I don't really think it matters. I think the Rockets are still going to have a good team because John Wall looks like John Wall again. And if he can even be, say, 85% of himself, Steven Silas can build a great offense around that. Steven Silas built a great offense around old Dirk Nowitzki and a bunch of other guys. Steven Silas is a great coach. I remember when the Mavs traded for Rondo and, you know, Darren Williams was still there and, you know, they didn't have a lot of great players, but they still had the number one offense in the league and they swung for the fences with Rondo because essentially you're trying to bring in another guy who was at that time perceived as a max player to play with Dirk. I understand it. It did not work. But the point is they had the number one offense with Deron Williams, old Deron Williams. So I really do think that... um there is a lot to be said for what Steven Silas can do as a coach. And so even if Harden is gone, I expect big things from the Rockets. This is not big things, but I expect a really good team. Everyone is basically expected they're going to fall out of the playoff race um, in the event that, you know, Harden is traded or excuse me, when Harden is traded. And I don't really think that's the case. I'm not sure what we'll get from Boogie. Um, and it's been weird that we haven't really seen Christian Wood much, but I do think that John Wall plus shooting is still an effective NBA offense because, I mean, he's still getting to the rim with authority, and that really matters. John Wall getting to the rim, sucks in the defense, opens up shots, and we know the Rockets have good shooters. We know what they can do uh, developmentally with shooting. And, you know, truthfully, again, they got a lot bigger. Boogie, for whatever he may be or may have been, I think it's hard to argue against the idea that he can be a solid role player. I mean, expecting him to be Boogie Cousins again is stupid, but expecting him to provide a couple of decent minutes off the bench, I don't really, I don't see, I don't see a reason that that's impossible at all. Um, I, you know, I think that's completely reasonable. I think that if you say to him, hey, you're the offense when, you know, Hall, Wall, and Harden sit, or just when Wall sits, um, you know, I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And I think that as a sixth man, uh, especially his ability to, you know, handle the ball and he's a good passer and all these things. His defense matters a lot less against scrubs. Um, so I really think the boogie and wall thing, and let's just be honest, you got two guys coming off injuries who are rejuvenated to play with each other. That does matter. It really does matter. Um, I will say, I think it's a definite thing, obviously, that the Rockets are going to trade Harden. Um, they should trade him. And the trade that I want to see, and I know it's crazy, I've mentioned it on Twitter, um, but the trade that I want to see is to the Warriors for Andrew Wiggins. That's salary filler, okay? Salary filler. So, just salary filler. It's not, the Rockets don't want Andrew Wiggins, I understand that. But Andrew Wiggins, James Wiseman, the Timberwolves 2021 first round pick, which is top three protected. And then, I think... You have to, you know, you basically look at the packages, Wiseman and the Timberwolves pick, and then you need to get a bunch of swaps. You're going to need to probably toss in one swap to incentivize them to even take on Wiggins. So that's one. And then you've got the one pick um, plus Wiseman. And I think you're going to need to include like 
at least one more, probably two more swaps on top of that. Maybe instead of a swap, a pick, whatever the case may be. Um, it's going to be a large package, but it gives the Warriors, Steph Curry, James Harden, they'd hang on to Kelly Oubre. They'd lose Wiseman, obviously. They'd have to go back to the whole, you know, random set of guys at center again. But when Clay Thompson eventually comes back next season, it allows them to go to, you know, kind of a new death lineup where Clay is playing like a small ball power forward, where you have um, Steph Harden. They'd probably lose Kelly Oubre because I don't know that they're going to re sign him and. You know, they'd have to pay him three times because of the luxury tax penalties. But, you know, say Pascal is a small forward or uh, or even Clay's at small forward. Pascal's playing power forward and you've got Draymond at center. There's a lot of different things that they can do. Um, but I think that Clay is probably not going to really chase around a lot of guards again. So moving him more to a wing or small ball for, you know, however it shakes out. You know, again, positions are so different these days. You know, the Warriors have played Pascal as a small ball center. Like, you you know, it just the game has changed. So you can do a lot of different things. Um, but I think that unlocks a lot for them. And just honestly, like, Steph Curry and James Harden would get all the buckets. Even if the defense might be questionable at times, those two are not as bad on defense as, say, like, Kyrie Irving. So it's just, it's really interesting. Um, the other thing about that is that Vegas has really weird odds on the Rockets and Warriors. Um, last I checked, like the Warriors still had decent odds to win the championship, and that's post clay injury. And the Rockets were they weren't like a plus fifty thousand nothing team, but they were in the range of like this team's not gonna win. They were at like plus four thousand, and the Warriors are at plus eighteen hundred. And those were, you know, kind of the largest I know that everyone is convinced that, you know, it's Ben Simmons for James Harden, but I just don't the roadblock comes at the Rockets want more than just a player for James Harden. They want more than Ben Simmons. And the 76ers simply won't do that. From all indications, it's like it's Ben Simmons or nothing. Now, knowing Daryl Morey, we would assume that he would probably toss in other things because, you know, Daryl always goes to get his guy. And especially given that he knows James Harden, there is some sense of, oh, he'll throw in picks, he'll throw in this, he'll throw in that. Um, you know, I understand why some people think that, but for the most part, I really don't believe that. I just don't see it. I just don't see the trade materializing, especially because I think the Rockets do want to move on from harder, Harden sooner than later. I don't care what they say about, we want to make this last, but this is ugly and they need to just move on. And I think that they want the best package. And I think that when you know something is dead, you're just out there doing the best you can to make it look good. And they can say all they want about, you know, wanting to convince Harden this, that. I just, I don't buy it. I personally believe they want to move on because I think you have to. And as much as it would hurt and be disgusting to them to make a trade of James Harden to the Warriors, I think a getting the Timberwolves pick in a loaded draft when you just saw that John Wall is back and getting James Wiseman who is kind of a perfect guy to pair with John Wall. I mean, it's just hard to turn that down. It's a great package, especially given that the Warriors are older. And those picks or pick swaps are going to become incredibly valuable. They just really are. You know, if you can get pick swaps or picks a few years from now, you know, no matter how many guys the Warriors have developed, they sucked last season, even with Curry on the floor. 
And there's no guarantee that they're ever going to go back to who they once were. And if you can get those picks now while they're still convinced that they're going to go back to what they once were, and you can get them to not be, you know, protected and all these things. I mean, this is a home run. These things are a home run. You've got to do it. Because Wiseman, for all of the, he didn't play this, that, and the other. We know his talent. You've got a loaded draft next year, and the Timberwolves are not going to be good. So you've got a top three protected pick. you got to do it. You've just got to do it. I don't think they will because I'm the only person in the world that seems to believe this will happen. So usually when you're the only person in the world that believes something will happen, it's pretty unlikely that it will occur. But I do truly think that the trade that makes the most sense for both teams is Rockets and Warriors. The Timberwolves have, they're kind of my other team. They have an interesting package. It would be like Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, a boatload of picks. Um, but I don't understand why. I mean, Harden would never sign long-term with Minnesota. So why is Minnesota giving up Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley? I mean, they probably would love to give up Malik Beasley at this point. But um, why are they giving up Anthony Edwards for a guy who's not going to stay? Uh, especially, I mean, Harden and D'Lo and Cat. I don't – it's it's a weird – it doesn't make sense. But I can see – it makes sense from the Rockets' perspective. Like, the Rockets would love that trade, but it makes no sense for Minnesota, and it does make sense for the Warriors. Harden wants to go to a contender, and as much as he may hate, you know, going to the team that beat him or whatever, Kevin Durant did it, and it didn't, you know, who cares? So I just think, truthfully, it's the trade that makes the most sense for both sides. Is it going to happen? Probably not. I think that Vegas thinks it's possible, because Vegas clearly thinks that the Rockets are trading James Harden, and they clearly think that the Warriors have a better chance at the championship than they do as currently constructed. And the only player that the Warriors are going to move James Wiseman for is a superstar player. And the only superstar player that is available is James Harden. So, you know, you look at the tea leaves, and it's just what it is. And I'm not trying to guarantee it or anything, but if you ask me to make a bet on where James Harden plays at the end of this season i would bet on golden state i wouldn't bet on philadelphia it's just what i think you know and i don't think there's any chance he stays in houston um i i just i think it's possible i think it's more likely that he goes to minnesota than it is that he goes to philadelphia i know that that's ridiculous um maybe i'm just wrong i just it is it is strange to me the idea that the Rockets are going to put it out here how they want. Like, they just got John Wall, and his contract isn't going anywhere. Like, you're going to put Ben Simmons next to John Wall. I know that you don't – I know that you don't – you obviously acquire Ben Simmons if you get a chance, regardless of whether or not you have John Wall. I understand that. But, like, if you put Ben Simmons and John Wall on a basketball court together, what the fuck are you going to do? And you can't just get out of the John Wall deal. Like, you can't trade him. I mean, maybe they hope they could rehab his trade value. I, I, I guess he's back. I think he's back, but that doesn't mean that he has infinite trade value again on a deal that's, you know, 40 million plus for, you know, those three seasons. So ultimately, I just, you do it. If you're getting more, I mean, I just, the Rockets are steadfast that they want more. 
than just a player. I just, everyone, this is one of those things where everyone makes the connection because it's the obvious thing, but it's not like, you know, Paul George to Oklahoma City was never the obvious thing. Paul George to the Clippers was never the obvious thing. You know, these things don't really go this way when it's a trade. They go to the team that's willing to pony up the most. And everyone sits here and says, Brooklyn, well, then, the, you know, Houston hates Brooklyn's trade package. They're never going to take it. And if the deal is hardened for Ben Simmons straight up, like, I would be inclined to believe that Daryl Morey is willing to include more than just Ben Simmons. I would be inclined to believe that. But if you're going to tell me that he's going to go to 76ers ownership and be like, hey, I know that I just didn't win a title with this guy a bunch of times, so I would like to now mortgage our future to trade for him and give up our best young trade asset and um, a bunch of picks for a guy who is turning 32. Like, I just don't understand that concept. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are on the same timeline. It just, the 76ers retooled their whole roster around the idea of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Their whole roster right now is putting shooting around those two. And they would have to completely, I mean, what do you do? You bring in James Harden and you tell Joel Embiid, hey, fuck you, man. This is his team now. I I just don't, it doesn't click to me. If James Harden gets traded to the Warriors, that is Steph's team. And that's it. And there's no question about that. And even Harden won't question that. I just, I know the obvious reasons I understand the links. I truly think the most likely scenario, Golden State Warriors. As for the Suns, my Suns, I'm so happy. I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited. I love the CP3 CP3 trade. You can go back and check my Twitter. I wasn't podcasting for a while because I didn't have my recording studio set up, but I was on Twitter talking about this months before it occurred. I was endorsing it. It was a great idea. It was, again, a tea leaves thing. It was something that we had all kind of talked about, Rubio and Ubre. I thought that the Suns would hold steadfast at Rubio and Ubre, maybe a couple seconds. They included Jalen McHugh in a first-round pick. Whatever. You're going to do the things you're going to do. You're going to make those choices. I'm happy. I love the trade. We don't need, you know, a multitude of first-round picks. I would have preferred they trade the 10th pick this year to the pick that they did trade. Um, But whatever. It's fine. The trade is incredible. We need a leader. Chris Paul doesn't miss the playoffs. You know? Chris Paul doesn't, you know have losing seasons. You know, CP3 doesn't have bullshit years where things are just not working and we're just going to win 20 games. Dude doesn't do that. Now, has everything gone perfectly? No, he doesn't have a ring. Did it go perfectly with the Clippers? No. Does everyone love his attitude? No, I understand that. But does this dude win? Yes. Are his career win shares at one at one point they were better than Michael Jordan? I haven't checked recently. To see if that's still true. But the point is, Chris Paul is a winner. And this makes his son a dark horse title contender. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care how ridiculous that is. Look at the depth of this team. Whereas, I do think depth could be an issue in terms of who are our key guys. Versus a team like the Hawks. 
The hierarchy is more clear-cut with the Suns. It's Devin Booker's team. Chris Paul is right there with them. DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges are the key supporting pieces. And then you've got a whole bunch of other role players there to do their job. I didn't love the Jalen Smith draft pick, number 10 overall, but it's very clear when you watch Jalen that he can shoot the fucking ball. He can shoot. And that's really what the Suns are thinking is, you put Jalen and Cam together around the Suns lineup, and oh my God, you got shooting. I like Abdel Nader as well. I like Utuan Moore. I like Langston Galloway. I like Damian Jones. There's interesting depth here. These guys are... They're good quality role players who can do their jobs in a way that is necessary for a team that's trying to progress to a next level. Yes, you need your superstars. Yes, you need great players, obviously, but you need role players to fill in the gaps. And the Suns have that. They have those role players now. Abdel Nader, I like especially. He plays so hard. Decent shooter. Damian Jones, interesting guy. The Suns really struggle with interior defense. We've always struggled with interior defense. Um, that is still the case. So he is someone who could really need to step up. Um, Sarge struggles defending some of the bigger guys. So, you know, these are interesting guys who may need to actually get minutes against, you know, the, the, the team could be highly matchup specific. And another thing, I mean, Carter, Javon Carter's shooting looks, um, I mean, he looks incredible shooting the ball in preseason. I think. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons the Suns extended him is he is a dog on defense who now is becoming, you know, a three and D guard, which we definitely need. Um, I really, really love this Suns team. I really do. I really have high hopes for this season. I don't know how other people feel about it, but I personally, I've got big, I really believe this team could win. I'm not saying they're going to win the title, but there's always a team that comes out of nowhere to be a real true title contender. Last year it was the Nuggets. And I really think the Suns are in that position. Because let's say that the Suns play the Lakers in the playoffs, right? This could be the only time that LeBron and CP3 ever play each other in the playoffs. And it could be CP3's last true chance to play for a truly, truly great team. Are you going to tell me that Chris Paul is not going to give his fucking everything to win that series. I'm not saying that they will. But what I'm saying is a lot crazier things have happened than the Suns with a megastar and Devin Booker and a whole bunch of great role piece, role players and an aging superstar and Chris. A lot crazier things have happened than this team winning the title. Like for sure. It is not I'm not trying to guarantee anything. I'm not trying to talk about upsets. I'm just saying that there are a lot of things that have occurred that have occurred that are way less likely than the Suns winning this championship. And to me, that's what matters. This team has an opportunity. And that is, we have, we have been a decade from that. The last team that was any good for the Suns was the 2013-14 team that won 48 games. That team was incredibly fun, but we didn't even make the playoffs. Tied for the most games ever won without making the playoffs. And it just, it's difficult, it sucks, and it's over because now is the opportunity for the Suns to go to a level that you just truly haven't, and I'm beyond fucking thrilled. I'm beyond thrilled, and I really believe in this team, and I think that um, 
I see, I, I see the vision. I understand it. Um, there are moves I might have made that were different, but it's really hard to argue with James Jones. I didn't like the Cam Johnson pick, and it turned out to be a solid, really good pick. Cam Johnson is a fucking shooter. And I kind of, I can see it all. I can, I can see the vision. I believe in this team, and I'm choosing to believe in what they're doing. They want a certain type of guy, a certain type of worker, a certain type of personality. I like it. I like what they're doing. I'm very excited, and I think the Suns are going to be very good this year. So, discussing now the over-under win totals for the season. I pulled these from Bovada. Um, I was going to pull them from Bet Online because a good friend of mine uh, loves Bet Online very much, but they didn't have all 30, so need to pull them from Bovada. Um, I am just going to go through here and have a look at all these ones. I pulled them off, and I'm just going to tell you what I think of each win total, whether whether it will go over or under. Um, let's just go right into it. Hawks are at 35 and a half. Uh, remember, 72 game season, typically 82. So some of these things are a little bit adjusted for the fact that we've got 10 games less than usual. So there is that. But the Hawks at 35 and a half, um, you know, they're putting them basically right on a 500 team. I think that's fair. Um, you know, I think that that's, you know, a reasonable assessment for where they're at. Um, for me, I'm going to take the over. I'm not, again, I'm not necessarily as high on them as some people are um, in terms of, you know, how great they can be, but I, it's tough for me to say that that team will win, you know, less than 35 games. I don't think so. I think they probably will, um, you know, get to the 36, 37, 38 wins, be solidly in an eighth seed spot. Um, but, you know, I, I see more cause for potential hangups than anyone else. I'll put it this way. I'm going to pick the over there, but I would never bet on that. You know, I just see too many cracks. Celtics are at 45 and a half. It's a really interesting one. Um, you know, it really depends on, you know, what you feel, obviously, about the Gordon Hayward situation and, you know, Kemba Walker's injuries and things like that. Um, you know, if Tatum and Brown take leaps, then, you know, this is something that would be easy for them to cross. But there's so much... I mean, the East is going to be crazy this year. It's going to be complicated. There's going to be so much up and down. It's hard to say. I'm going to take the over just because, you know, I think this is probably still like a good 48 win team. Um, you know, even in this season, um, there's still too many lowly teams in the East for them not to just clean up against. And, you know, anytime you got Jason Tatum, um, you got one of the, you know, best players in the game with 10, 15 best players at this point, something like that. So it's, you know, good potential to win the games in that case. Nets are also at 45 and a half. I'm going to take the under. Um, not really a big fan of this Nets team. Also, we have no clue what we're getting from KD and Kyrie coming off an injury. There's no defense on this team. It's going to take a while for them to come together. Steve Nash has never coached before, and I don't really care about, oh, he's got this bench full of blah, blah, blah. Too many cooks, man. Too many cooks. You got 18 head coaches and 45 star players. I just, the Nets are going to have chemistry problems. I don't buy it. Under 45 and a half. Hornets are at 25 and a half under. They're going to suck. I don't even want to talk about the Hornets. Not a big believer in LaMelo ball, by the way. Not a fan of the ball brothers at all. Not a fan of dudes who can't shoot. I don't understand why the shooting thing doesn't bother people. I would never spend the number three overall pick on a guy who can't shoot, but I understand exactly why the Hornets did it because they need fans. 
Um, they clearly expect to be decent this year. Otherwise, they're not paying Gordon Hayward that money. But seriously, dude, like, I just yeah, they're going to win like 20 games. I'll, I'll take the under. Bulls are at 29 and a half. I don't even know what to – I have no clue. I have no clue. I watched the Bulls the other night. I have no fucking idea what they're trying to do. It's – I don't – I they're so wasting Lowry marketing. I just under. I don't believe in this Bulls team. Cavs are at 22 and a half. Who even plays for them? Like, seriously. This just better be the Isaac Okoro show because their other guards suck. They, they, the Cavs front office has done an atrocious job since LeBron left, just like last time. They suck. 22.5 is so low, but I think we're going to have a lot of teams get fucking beat up on this year. Give me the Cavs under 22.5. I would never bet on that team over. Mavs at 42.5. I'm actually surprised here. I thought they were going to kind of get that bump of like, uh, you know, the, I thought they would be like with the Nets and Celtics at 45.5. I actually, I like the over here. Um, you know, I think the Mavs are a solid 43, 44 win team, something in that range, 45 wins. So, um, you know, I think, I think they're going to have a really good season. Um, you know, the moves they made, you know, bringing in Josh Richardson to pair with Luca, And, you know, I, I like these moves. So um, I'll take the over. The Nuggets are at 44 and a half. And I'm going to go on the under on this one because I think the Nuggets are due for a little bit of regression. Um, you know, anytime that you have sort of an out of nowhere run um, and then you lose a little bit of talent with a guy like Jeremy Grant, things like that, you know, Paul Millsap's a year older. I think um, – you know, everyone's now going to give them their best shot. You know, they're going to know the Nuggets are good with the comeback. Everyone knows, you know, Jamal Murray just gets buckets. I, you know, I just kind of think, um, I think they're due for a little bit of regression. And I think it's going to be a little closer to like 40 wins for the Nuggets. So I'll take the under there. Pistons are at 23 and a half. I mean, there's no way to take the over on this team. I like Killian Hayes like five years from now, you know, obviously, but this team is not going to win anything. So that's an under. The Warriors are at 36 and a half. This is kind of a tough one for me because obviously, like, if you just ask me about the Warriors team as currently constructed, then the answer is, uh, you know, they suck and they're going to go under this. Um, but given that I think they're going to acquire James Harden, you know, that's where the rub comes in. So I'm just going to take the over 36 and a half because I do think they're going to, they're going to acquire Harden. Um, the Rockets then are at 35 and a half, which again is tough because it's tough to say. But like I said, I think that, uh, you know, Steven Silas is going to be able to field an NBA offense no matter what. So I think that, I think that the Rockets are going to go like 37 and 35. So I'll take the over on that 35 too. Um, but, you know, you never know. Indiana is at 35 and a half. I think they are due for regression. Um, I don't really believe in the TJ Warren bubble thing. Um, I do believe in the sun. So I guess I'm being biased and selective, but you know, TJ was really good leading up to that. He wasn't that good, but he had a solid season, but an unknown coach. There's still a complicated situation between Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis. And we don't know what Oladipo is going to be. I just, I kind of think Indiana is due for a regression type season. So I'm going to take under 35 and a half. The Clippers are at 46 and a half. Um, I love the Ibaka signing. Um, they did lose a little bit of depth, but you know, you keep Marcus Morris. Um, I think 46 and a half is kind of high for a team that load manages, you know, its best players. So I'm going to take the under on that one because I think they're going to come in at like 43, 44 wins. Um, the Lakers are at 47 and a half. I'll take the over. The Lakers should probably win 50 games, even with, with resting their guys. It's still LeBron and AD. So they should probably have a good, you know, 50 and, and 22 type season. Um, I think, I think they'll be somewhere in there. So I, I would take the over on the Lakers. I wouldn't be shocked if they 
stalled out around 48 or 49 wins, but I'm certainly not going to take the under. Um, after what we just saw LeBron and AD do in the playoffs, there's no way I would take the under on that. The Grizzlies are at 31 and a half. This one actually shocked me. I thought that they were going to put the, um, the Grizzlies higher. This is kind of right around where I pegged them at. Um, I'm going to take the over because I think the Grizzlies are good for like 33, 34 wins. Um, I think they'll get there, but you know, I do think again, um, I mean, John Morant is really good. Brandon Clark is really good. JJJ is really good. You know, they have some questionable depth. It's, it's tough to say. Um, but I think, you know, with John Morant, they're going to win a couple extra games. The heater at 44 and a half. This one's interesting because again, they're right. They're like right behind the Celtics and the Nets. Uh, of course, they're the, the defending champs. Um, of the Eastern Conference, that is. Um, so it's, it's tough to say you bring back Dragic. Uh, you expect more growth from, from Hero and Bam and Duncan Robinson. Um, Eric Spolster is such a good coach. That one's a really tough. They're right on the line of kind of where you would expect them to be. Um, I'll take the over just out of respect for Eric Spolster. I think Spolster is the most underrated coach in the league. So, you know, I think he's one of the best coaches out there, if not the best coach in the league. He's so good. And he just doesn't get the, the credit. So Bucks are at 51. Um, the Bucks find ways to win regular season games. So let's just take the over. They'll, you know, they'll win 52 or 53. They're going to be great. And, you know, then the playoffs will happen. So who knows? The T Wolves are at 28 and a half. No belief in this team at all. No one's going to play defense. I really am starting to sour on Carl Anthony Towns, like at all as a franchise type player or anything near it. So I, I'm just, yeah, yeah, give me the under on the T-Wolves. Pelicans are 35 and a half. I think they're primed for regression as well. Give me the under. Um, I know that Stan Van Gundy is a really good coach, but I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know. I'm just not as high on the Pelicans as other people. I'm not as high on Zion. I like Zion a lot. He's a great player, but there are real questions about his defense and his, you know, his health and things like that. And so I do kind of wonder, um, about those situations. The Knicks are at 22 and a half. Um, it's tough to say again, what you, it's, it's just, it's a tough scenario because 22 and a half is so low, you know, expecting a team to, to lose that games when you've got some talent, eh. but I just can't imagine them putting together a lot of strings of wins. I, you know, I think they're going to win 20 games. You know, I think 20 and 52 is fairly reasonable for the Knicks and that's under, um, the Thunder at 23 and a half under. It's just, you know, the Thunder don't, the Thunder are in rebuild mode and they're going to do anything they can to lose games. The Magic are at 32. I already said I like the Magic. I'm going to take the over on that one. Uh, I kind of explained my reasoning for that. I like their offense. I think they're going to be interesting. They've got a solid defense. I think they're good for 34, 35, 36 wins. Um, you know, I think they're about a 500 team, even with the fact that they didn't make a lot of moves. So I like the Magic. Um, give me them over. 76ers are 44 and a half. Again, this is very interesting, but I'm going to take the over actually because I think that number one, I think Daryl's right. I think that when you put Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with a lot of shooting around them, I think you change the game. Um, and I think that they're going to win 46, 47, 48 games, maybe 50, maybe shock people a little bit. I like the 76ers in this regular season. The Suns are at 39 and a half. This is low. Um, I'm pegging the Suns around 45 wins this year. I don't think that people understand um, why the bubble was real, and I don't think they understand what the Chris Paul signing means. And I don't think that they understand the depth quality that we've made because people are just kind of looking at us and going, oh, sons, whatever. But I don't think they understand like how many years Devin Booker was playing with guys who are no longer even in the league. And now we're playing with real, we're, we're, we're cooking with gas in Phoenix here. I'm pegging this team around 45 wins. So give me the over on 39 and a half. 
Blazers are 40 and a half. I know that everyone likes the Blazers this year. Everyone's kind of, they're kind of their one of their sleeper. I'm not a fan. I just, I don't, I, I don't think they have enough depth. And I don't, I don't know. I like CJ McCollum, but I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm souring on the Blazers a little bit. I know that they were just a couple of years removed from, you know, having a decent couple of games in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors. I understand all those things. I just, I, watching Dame Lillard drag that team in the bubble, and he was incredible, but it was one dude making incredible shots in a gym with no one in it. I know that a lot of games like that will be this season. I just I think the Blazers are due for some aggression, and I'm going to take the under 40 and a half. The Kings at 28 and a half don't understand what's going on, chemistry problems. Good for them on signing the Aaron Fox, but I'm not a believer. Give me the under. Spurs are 29 and a half. I thought the Spurs were going to be listed way higher than this. I was actually shocked. I pegged the Spurs around 28 wins. I thought they were going to list them like in the mid 30s, like a 500 team or something. But I'm good to see well, people agree with me. I've got them pegged around 28. So 29 and a half is over that, so I'll take the under. Raptors are at 42 and a half. This one's interesting. We know that the Raptors are going to be a really good regular season team. We know that they are going to do their job and that they're going to, um, well, that they're going to win games that they shouldn't. And, I, you know, we have a lot of potential guys who could take leaps this year. They're a really good regular season team. They're going to be good for 44 or 45 wins. So let's take the over on the Raptors. Jazz at 41 and a half. I believe, again, due for regression. There's a new sales situation, so, you know, new owner, who knows what occurs in those situations. Sometimes it can be good. Sometimes it can be, you know, there can be upheaval with staff. There's a lot of different things. No one really knows, but I'm still going to take the regression. I think 38, 39 wins, so we'll go under 41 and a half. And then the Wizards are pegged at 33 and a half. I think that's right on. But I think this team is going to be kind of fun. I think Russell Westbrook is going to bump them. I like them as a 500 team, so give me the Wizards over 33 and a half. I think they're going to win about 36 games. And that is the return of the Blunt Doctor show. With people outside running around and playing. I'm here in the studio. I've been on Instagram Live. I've enjoyed it. I'm going to go ahead and mix this and get this up to the various podcasting sites now. Please subscribe. Please rate. Please tell other people about it. Or... Please fuck off if you don't want to do those things. Just kidding. I love you all. In any case, we'll see you tomorrow. We're doing it Monday to Friday from here on out. Today is not Monday, I know, but yeah, call me a cheater. In any case, Blunt Doctor Show is over. <laughs>